things are definitely getting darker. Russ talked about that night number one. Some of the statistics that he shared were overwhelming. Some of the stories that I hear on campus each week are just as bad. Last week I heard of a young girl, a college student, who began smoking pot at the age of eight. Okay, why did she begin smoking pot at age eight? Because her parents introduced it to her at age eight because it was the way that the family had fun together. It was their entertainment as a family. I could hardly believe that parents were introducing their eight-year-olds to drugs in order to have entertainment with their kids. And I think about my family, I want my girls to be healthy. I want my girls to know true love. I don't want my girls to be forced into a destructive behavior that's going to have incredibly bad consequences for the rest of their lives. I read an article a couple weeks ago that said porn is causing massive amounts of men to become impotent. We are having such an addiction with porn in this country that men can no longer have sex because they are so focused on images in their head that no human being could ever match up with. Right? The one thing that most men would say is the most attractive thing to them, they can't even enjoy with their spouse because they've ruined the opportunity because of the darkness that's in our world. The darkness that is in this world is robbing us of everything we want. That's just one clear example. Look at the world chaos that's going on all around you, whether it's economic, whether it's warfare, you name it. It's prevalent everywhere you look, right? You turn on the news, you almost don't want to look. Are you like that, right? I get most of my news through the internet. I'll read a bunch of different news sites. My wife and I don't watch TV, but sometimes I don't even want to read because I'm convinced there's nothing encouraging I'm possibly going to see at all. Right? It's all discouraging. That's the darkness that's all around us. In 2 Timothy 3, we read about some of that darkness that's all around us. You could turn there if you want real quickly, and we'll just see if this looks a little bit like our nation today. All right, 2 Timothy 3, we're going to read 1 through 5. And it says, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, sounds like today, lovers of money, sounds like today, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Dad, sound like today? Right? It does in a lot of different ways. Ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. Right? Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago, and it couldn't be more prevalent than it is today. It's exactly what we're seeing all around us. The world really has gotten much, much darker. Yet, in the midst of this very dark world, you have a very bright light, right? namely Jesus. And he desires to shine brightly through you. And he's given us principles in his word of how you can shine brighter in the midst of this very dark world. So tonight we're going to talk about that. And as we set up these three principles of walking brighter, I want to remind you that it tells us in Psalm 119.105 that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. You are not going to be able to be the light that God wants you to be in this society on your own. You can't fabricate this, guys. You can't just try harder to be a light. Have you ever tried that? It doesn't work, right? You can't just try harder to be a better light. This is something that has to come from God himself working in me and living his life through me, right? And it starts with his word, which is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Those who follow him won't be stumbling through the darkness is what Jesus promised you in John 8:12. Have you ever felt that you're stumbling through the darkness? You can't find your bearing, right? You can't figure out where to put the next step because it's so dark all around you. Well, Jesus said if you follow him, you will have the light that leads to life and you will not be stumbling through the darkness. As a believer, scripture says that his light is shining in your heart. We read that this morning in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. And Jesus has called you men to let your light shine before men. He's called you to not hide your light from the world that's all around you, right? Your light is shining. The only way it's not going to be shining is when you hide it, 
right? And there are a few different ways that we can hide it, and a few different ways, and they go hand in hand, that we can let it shine. And that's what we are going to talk about tonight. And if you apply these three principles of letting that light shine, I'm confident that as Philippians 2.15 says, you will shine like stars in the universe. You really will shine bright in this very dark world. So as we get started, I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to read the first 18 verses. Right? 1 Kings 19, the first 18 verses. And they're all good. I guess we didn't have to read all of them. But I kind of wanted to because they're all really good. But while you turn there, I'm going to read to you from Philippians 2.15. This passage that I just quoted where we hear about shining like stars in the universe. Right? So as you turn to 1 Kings 19, listen as I read from Philippians 2.13-16. through 16. Paul writes in Philippians 2, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Okay, as we read tonight, and as we study tonight, and as we get into God's word tonight, remember, God is the one that has to do this in you. So it all goes back to him. It is God who works in you both to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. Here we have it again. A crooked and depraved generation. The darkness is prevalent, yet in that dark, crooked, and depraved generation, you, it says, can shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. Here's Paul talking about those that he had discipled, those that he had invested in, who were living in a very dark society, a depraved society, he says, kind of like ours in many ways, and he says you get to shine like stars in the universe, as you exist in that dark society, as you follow God, as you continue to allow him to live through you, right? And to work through you. But yet, it all starts with him. So, if you take the principles that we talk about, you really will shine like stars in the universe. It's not a question mark. It's a guarantee, right? You will shine like stars in the universe at your workplace. You will shine like stars in the universe in your neighborhood, you will shine like stars in the universe wherever you happen to go. When I was a college student, my undergraduate degree was in chemistry, and I went to lab one day, and in lab, everybody started coming up to me saying, hey, there's just something different about you. I had several people come up and tell me this, right? This story is going to be funny for one of you. I think, I can't remember which one. I think it's Fletch. We'll find out as I share and so I'm starting to get excited. They see Jesus in me. These guys see Jesus in me. I'm getting excited to share my faith, right? I'm a sophomore, I think. And I had another person come up. We see something different about you, Nate. We see something different about you. Finally, somebody lets me in on the secret. I was the only one in the lab that didn't have my lab goggles on. <laughs> right? So they were seeing something different, all right? It wasn't what I was hoping. Fletch, was it you that was walking around with your lab goggles on all day around campus? Just on my forehead. <laughs> on your forehead. Okay. But as apparent as it was that there was something different about me, that's how it'll be with you in your neighborhood, with you in your workplace, with you in your church, if you apply these three principles. People will not be able to miss it, right? There will be no fabricating it on your end. It'll be plain and visible. You'll be shining like stars in the universe to all those around you. So let's set up the passage a little bit, right? Most of you have turned there. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. But if you do, I hope you're at 1 Kings 19, 1 through 18. We're not going to read it yet. I just kind of want to set it up for you. We're talking about Elijah, a man's man, who was willing to shine brighter than almost anybody could imagine in a very dark society similar to ours. Some of his miracles, especially fire coming down from heaven at Carmel, was about as bright a light shining as you could imagine. And his exit from this earth was probably the brightest ever, too, as he left and a chariot of fire being drawn by horses of fire. An incredible story, right? One of those stories that I can't wait to ask God what that was like. Maybe, maybe we'll get to see a little heavenly YouTube video of it. Anyway, so as we set this passage up, it's something that's relevant to every one of us that lives in a dark society like Elijah's. He was in a very, very dark situation. He served during the reigns of 
two of Israel's worst kings. In fact, Ahab, the king that was king for most of his ministry, was the worst king in Israel up to that point. So this is bad, bad news. And his wife might have been even worse than him. His wife was quite the woman, right? And then his son Ahaziah took over after him and was evil like his father. He was no good. This is the context of the country, the society in which Elijah was ministering. A society in which ministers that loved God, prophets, priests, were being slaughtered in the name of Baal. Right? This was an incredibly bad situation. No doubt Elijah felt like he was serving God in a very dark society. And we'll see as we read the passage when we get there that he felt depressed to the point of death because of the godlessness of the society that he was in. He felt alone, like he was the only one. Have you ever felt like that? Am I the only one that wants to follow God? Right? Or have you maybe seen God come through for you and then swung to the opposite end of the spectrum, to a place of depression? If you have, you can sympathize with Elijah today. So God uses Elijah to accomplish one of the greatest miracles in the entire Old Testament, fire coming down from heaven to consume this waterlogged sacrifice on Carmel. After that, 450 prophets of Baal were put to death by the sword. This is a huge victory in the midst of a dark society which had been dominated by those very people who lost the battle on this day. You'd think that after that kind of amazing event, after seeing God come through so amazingly, Elijah would be filled with faith and unable to be distracted away from what God had done, right? That he'd have nothing in the world to worry about. But upon hearing of his victory, Jezebel, Ahab's wife, his very evil wife, decided that she would threaten Elijah's life and say, may the gods deal with me ever so severely if the same hasn't happened to you by tomorrow. So what does Elijah say? He just saw God bring fire down from heaven. you think the guy wouldn't worry about this threat from this woman. Yet he runs for his life, the Bible says, quote, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. A direct quote from scripture, right? Fleeing to the wilderness, just like many Christians are doing today, right? Just fleeing the darkness. Either I'm participating in the darkness or I'm just so depressed, I just want to lock myself in a little Christian bubble and get away from it. Or I flee to the wilderness where it can't touch me. Fortunately, he's going to Horeb, we find out, as we read the passage, which is Sinai, which is where God revealed himself to Moses. It seems likely that Elijah wanted to seek God's face, which is a good thing. He was fleeing for his life, but he knew who to go to, right, with that kind of fear and agony. So let's pick it up in verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me. Be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God, Sinai. Right Now just to pause here, and all of you that have been through our leadership training classes at Fort Lewis College, or for some of you that have helped teach them, you know that for us, our bread and water is the bread that came down from heaven that we can eat of and never hunger again. It's the living water that Jesus himself gives us, that he gives to everyone that believes in him. Right. So when I feel like Elijah, like I'm ready to die, I'm ready to hide myself in a corner because I'm so sick of the darkness around me, I can be refreshed for all that God has for me through Jesus alone. Through Jesus alone. He refreshes me for all that I'm going through. That's important to remember, but it's not necessarily the focus of this talk, but I want you to know that. Wherever you're at, Jesus is your answer. Wherever you're at, press into him. 
because only He can satisfy you. Only He can sustain you and give you what you need for the journey that's coming ahead of you. There he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? I think God knew, but he wanted Elijah to come into this conversation with him, right? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've broken down your altars, and they've put your prophets to the death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his head, and he went out and he stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Have you ever been there where you keep going over the same issue with God? Going over the same issue with God? Battling it out with God? You're not the only one. The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Okay, now this last part of the passage is where we're going to get our three points for today's talk, and I think they're important. While Elijah was running for his life and seeking God, God gave him three commandments. And each of those are pertinent to us today. God called him first to obey him. Right? God said, Elijah, go back the way you came from. Do you know how far he'd just come? 200 miles. <laughs> okay, so that's not a simple command. Go back 200 miles, right? We know half the journey took 40 days and 40 nights. So we know that there is a long road ahead of him. It was a big step that God was calling him to. So God was calling him to obedience. And there are some specific steps of obedience that God called him to that we'll look at. But the point for you, and we'll get into this, is God's calling you to obedience. Just like we read in Philippians 2, our obedience is how the world is going to see his light in us. When I obey him, I look different. When I don't obey him, I look the same as the darkness. If I want to shine brighter, I need to obey him. And that's exactly what God called Elijah to do here. Next, he called him to anoint Elisha to succeed him as prophet in Israel. So God called him to set up the next generation to serve him. So the second point that I want to discuss is discipleship. God's calling every one of you, once you're walking close to him in obedience, to invest in the next generation who's coming up behind you. This is the Great Commission that's been brought up numerous times today. We're called to make disciples, right? We can't do that until we get the obedience thing straight. But once we get that, we're supposed to invest in the next generation. Finally, we need to trust Him. If we're full of our own anxiety and worry, we're not going to be a light in this dark world. But when we realize, like God told Elijah, that there are 7,000 other believers that Elijah could trust Him with that society... When we get on the same page with God and realize we can trust Him too with anything we're going through, we really will be able to shine brighter. So let's look at each of these three a little more closely. First of all, God called Elijah to continue obeying Him, to anoint these two kings, one of Syria, one of Israel, to do His will, right? There's not any specific evidence in Scripture that Elijah did either of those two things. We don't know if He anointed either of those two men. He might have, and it's just not recorded in Scripture. We do find in Scripture that Elisha anointed both of them to be king. So it seems more likely that Elijah passed on the command to Elisha who replaced him, and after he was gone, after he was taken miraculously to heaven, Elisha fulfilled that command. But we do know that Elijah immediately put into practice what God called him to be obedient to. He started back on this 200-mile journey back towards the desert of Damascus. In fact, we know that near that area is where Elisha was from. 
And he went back to that point, found Elisha, and anointed him to be his successor, right? So we know that he was stepping out in obedience, traveling to Abel-Meholah to anoint Elisha to succeed him, which was this huge journey. And we know that he was giving Elisha what God had commanded concerning these other kings. So immediately after receiving this command, he put it into practice, obeying God. Whether or not he did that perfectly is a different question. And we know, just from the way he fled into the wilderness in fear, that Elijah wasn't always obedient. So what I want to encourage you with as we talk about obedience is there's a difference between obedience and perfection. You understand? God is calling you to obedience. And I know every one of you in here, myself included, have fallen short of that obedience in the past. Don't let that define you, right? But today choose to walk in obedience to Him. You don't have to live in your past. You don't have to live in all that sin. Elijah traveled all the way back, anointed Elisha to succeed him as prophet in Israel. He put into practice what God had called him to. Regardless of the depravity of our society, he's calling us to obey him. These times really are bad times, I would say. Right? We look around and there's hardly anything good to point at. Seems like everything is kind of bad. Spurgeon challenges us saying, what have you and I to do with the times except to serve our God in them? The point here as I look around me is not to get so focused with how bad things are out there, but it's to realize God put me here for this time and he put me here in this place to be obedient to him. The darkness of the times is not an issue to you. The only issue to you is will you serve your God in these times? Will you be obedient to him in these times? And this, guys, is how I let my light shine before men. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 14 through 16, You are the light of the world, like a city on a mountain, glowing in the night for all to see. Don't hide your light under a basket. Instead, put it on a stand and let it shine for all. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Did you catch that? Your good deeds are shining before men. Your obedience towards God is what's shining before men. Right? When you're obedient to Him, you look different than everybody else. And that shines bright like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. When I don't follow Him in obedience, I look like the rest of the world and I hide my light. So fundamentally, guys, what I want to encourage you with is to obey Him. And that really starts with believing Him. There are so many things in Scripture that are not popular with your society. Are you going to trust society or scripture? If you want to be a light, it starts with trusting his word over what society is telling me. And then putting his word into practice, following him in obedience. This is where integrity starts. This is where your purpose begins. This is where the abundant life that he promised becomes non-fiction. This is where the fruit of the Spirit actually starts to come out of your life instead of the fruit of the flesh. Or as Malcolm's lovely wife would call it, the vegetables of the flesh, right? But I think vegetables are good, so. This is where confidence as a man begins. When I live in obedience to him, I have confidence. When I follow my flesh in disobedience, I'm full of shame, regret, and guilt. This is where a vibrant walk with God begins. This is where the marriage you've always dreamt of begins. My wife treats me like every one of you men wishes your wife at some time would treat you. That's not a joke. She serves me in ways that I shouldn't even publicly say. She blesses me in ways that would make you blush. But also she's the sweetest woman I've ever met. I can honestly say probably any argument we've ever had in our marriage was my fault. I feel like I won the lottery with her. But do you know what she loves to see in me? And do you know why she feels she can treat me that way? 
It's simple. And she'll tell me. She can trust me. She doesn't think I'm always comparing her to some other girl. Right? She can trust me. As I walk in obedience to Christ, I become the man that this woman wants. And then I get what every man has always wanted. Does that make sense? I want you guys to get that when you follow him in obedience, you don't miss out a thing. You actually get everything you've ever been looking for. Maybe not the exact ways you wanted it, right? But you get it so much better because it's the abundant life that he promises. But it starts with obeying him and walking in obedience to him. I promise you guys, the second you try to grasp that abundant life with your own hand, your own way, you've lost it already. It will never, ever come to you. This, guys, is where a life of impact begins. You want to make a difference? Do you want to be remembered long after you're gone? This is where it begins. I know so many men that have lived lives of selfishness, doing whatever feels good, whatever sounds good, whatever they and their friends think they should do, without any regard for Scripture, and then burning their credibility. I know people right now whose kids want nothing to do with them, whose families want nothing to do with them. I talked to people recently going through hard things in their marriage. The wife is doing this. The guy is doing this. <laughs> in front of both of them, I said, did either of you ever think to just do what God says? I mean, this is, it's, neither of you are even, do, even thinking that. You're both reacting to each other's reactions and then reacting to those reactions. Did anyone just say, look, I'm doing what God says. I don't care about the other one. <laughs> They can do something different, but it, I'll start and I'll do what God says. If we will do what he says, if we'll walk in obedience to him, we get it all. If we seek first him and his righteousness, all these things will be added to unto us. As long as I try to grasp it on my own, it doesn't happen. So obedience, guys, starts with the two greatest commandments that Christ gave us to be obedient to. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second Jesus says is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. When we miss those, we walk in the darkness like everyone else. When I obey those, when I really make Jesus the greatest focus of my love, with all my heart, soul, mind, strength, I gain it all. Right? When I start to love the people around me the way he's called me to, I start to see this victory that he's called me to. 1 John 2, 9 through 10 says, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light. If I want to walk in the light, it starts with loving God and loving the people around me. There are 19,000 kids dying every day of starvation. If I love them, I'll do something about it. There are women rescued from sex slavery. We have some of their stuff here that you can bring home to your wives, shameless plug, but it actually will provide an income for those ladies so they don't have to go back to the streets. If we love them, we'll take steps like that. Guys, there are guys around you on this campus that don't know Jesus. If you love them, you'll shine a light brightly for them. <coughs> guys, we've never seen as many people make a decision to trust Christ in a single semester as this year. I was telling Malcolm the other day, it seems like every time we turn around, somebody new is making a decision to trust Christ. It's not because Malcolm is so great. It's definitely not because I'm so great. It's because the people around you are hungrier than they've ever been. And the world is darker than it's ever been, and it's not giving them anything that satisfies. Do you know anybody on that campus that's truly satisfied without Christ? What about you guys in your workplaces? Do you know anybody that's truly satisfied without Christ? You have a light they desperately need to see, and if you love God and if you love them, You'll follow him in his third greatest commandment, which is to make disciples of all nations, which begins with sharing that light with people through evangelism. That kind of touches on the second point. So before we get there, I want to challenge you with an application point. Okay? And as you consider this application point, I want you to know that you don't have what it takes. I didn't mean to share so many Spurgeon quotes, but... There was a time someone came to Spurgeon with a task that he'd asked them to complete. And he said, well, are you going to get it done? And he said, I'll do my best. Spurgeon replied, any fool can do that. 
It goes, the man of God attempts what's impossible and achieves it through his strength. So I'm not saying, guys, just try harder, because if you do, you're going to fail. You don't have what it takes. But God's Holy Spirit in you does have what it takes. And he can accomplish it through you as you walk willingly and trusting him. So here's the application challenge. In the middle of the chaos and opposition all around you, the darkness that's pervasive all around you, God is calling you to take a step of obedience. I bet every one of you in here right now knows one clear step of obedience that God wants you to take. Fair to say? Okay, I want you to take it. First application point of the night. If you want to write that down, you can. If you have an accountability partner or somebody that you know you can trust, share it with them. Say, keep me accountable to taking that step of obedience that God is calling me to. Okay? So... Put that down on a piece of paper somewhere and make that decision about the step of obedience that you want to take. Now, if you have never begun a relationship with Christ, my encouragement to you is that the greatest step of obedience that you can take is to trust Him as your Savior and Lord. To come to Him tonight, to begin a relationship with Him, to say, Jesus, I need you desperately. Please forgive my sins. Please come into my life. Please be my Savior and Lord. I really believe that you are who you say you are, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again. The Bible says when you put your faith in him, you'll be adopted into his family. If you've never taken that step of obedience, that'd be a great step to take tonight. Bill Bright said there are no unhappy, obedient Christians, and there are no happy, disobedient Christians. Did you catch that? There are no unhappy, obedient Christians, and there are no happy, disobedient Christians. As you walk in obedience to Christ, you'll experience the abundant life that he's calling you to. And you'll be a light that shines bright for all those around you. And someday, and we don't know how long it'll be from tonight, you'll hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. As you trust him with this life that he's given you. Okay, second point. Number one, walk in obedience. Number two, God told Elijah... In 1916, anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Meholah to succeed you as prophet. So again, God used Elisha to fulfill some of the commands that he'd given to Elijah, right? God also used Elisha, both prophetically and miraculously, to do great things among his people. He wasn't opposed by the kings of Israel the same way Elijah had been done. He was able to minister much more publicly than Elijah had without the opposition that Elijah had had. You're all familiar with the command that Jesus gave his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. I mentioned it a minute ago. That's really what we're getting to here. God wants you to walk in obedience to him, loving him and loving others, obeying his word, but then he wants you to raise up the next generation just like he told Elijah. All you old men in here, there are guys that need to stand on your shoulders. And if you're not giving them shoulders to stand on, they're going to suffer. And the world will be much darker if they don't have bright shoulders to stand on. You guys will never get these years back. I look at my kids right now and I think I'm never going to get these years back. Right? Eliana's five. Five years have come and gone since she was born. Before I know it, she'll be off to college. I never get these years back. I want to make the most of them. I want to give those kids the biggest shoulders to stand on so that they can be lights in this world. All you guys on campus, when I meet with you, Fletch, I want to do everything I can to help you shine brighter than anybody's ever seen. Right? When I meet with you, Justin, you're telling me about guys you've shared with in the last week. It just brings so much joy to me. Because see, as we're raising up the next generation, we're multiplying light throughout this dark world. So when you're obedient to God, you're being a light. When you're raising up the next generation like he told Elijah to do, you're multiplying that light into new areas that you could never reach on your own. I've been so excited this year about discipleship. When I was in college, I came as a pre-med major. That's why I ended up with a chemistry degree, because I wanted to be a medical missionary, a doctor missionary. Right? As I was in school... And as Russ discipled me, 
I caught the vision for spiritual multiplication. I realized that I can accomplish a lot more investing my life in lots of people so that they can invest in others and multiply and multiply and multiply. I realized that's a lot more effective use of my life than becoming a medical missionary where I'll be stuck somewhere doing something but without the capacity to multiply like I could here. That was a personal decision. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with people being medical missionaries. I'm glad they're there. One of the first guys I discipled when I came on staff was a guy that came to Christ in our ministry named Andrew. After he got discipled in our ministry, he came to Romania with us a couple times, and he caught the vision for world missions. He became a missionary for four years, right? At the end of those four years, he saw the need for medical missionaries, so where's Andrew today? He's back here in the U.S. going through medical school in Louisiana so that he can go back on the mission field as a missionary doctor. I was sharing that story with my father-in-law recently who asked me what's been up with Andrew because he hadn't heard from him in a while. And as I shared it, my father-in-law said, Nate, isn't that what you used to want to do? I hadn't thought of that yet. I thought, yeah. And it clicked. There have been times that there's been this little regret. Should I have done that? Did I pick the right career, if you want to call it a career? And it just clicked. Because I'm doing discipleship, God has vicariously fulfilled that dream that I once had. Isn't that exciting? Right? I only have one life, but if I invest it in others, he can multiply it. I hope you get excited about that. After that clicked, I started realizing, gosh, right now I'm discipling Chad. He was here tonight. Right? He's this incredible artist. As a kid, I loved art. But I just don't have the time for it now. Well, every time I invest in Chad, Chad gets to use his art to glorify God. It's like, oh my gosh, there's another dream that's being fulfilled through discipleship. And then I'm, I'm getting to do discipleship with Zach, this mountain biker. He's reaching the extreme sports area for Christ. He just picked up a new sponsor last week, a big one. And they asked him for his bio. In our discipleship appointment, we talked through how could he share his faith in his bio on this big public website. Right? He talks about Jesus as Lord and Savior on the website, and they posted it. I said the worst they can do is not post it. They posted it, right? I realized I used to want to be this snowboarder that reached this extreme sport world for Christ. I've long since given that up, and it's a good thing. But you know what? As I invest in others, they're reaching that same group, right? Just to put an interesting thought out there, one of the guys that I used to share with a lot and that was a friend of mine, and that I spent a lot of time with back my freshman year, is now one of the top mountain bikers in the world. And he's friends with Zach. Is that not exciting? Maybe Zach will get to reach him in ways that I couldn't. All I'm saying, guys, is as you commit to making disciples, you multiply the light in a way that you could never do just trying harder on your own. Do you get that? When Jesus called you, Dylan, to make disciples of all nations, and Caleb and Brandon back there, when... And Matt, when he called you to make disciples of all nations, he called you to do it. He didn't just call all Christians generally to do it. He said, you do it, Matt. You make disciples of all nations. Kevin, you want your life to mean something? Invest it in other people, and it will multiply light throughout this dark world. It'll multiply light. Dylan, Bradley, all you guys, Chris, we've seen some... This guy, Andrew, that I just told you about, that I got to disciple, that's going to be a medical missionary now, I didn't lead him to Christ. You know who did? A student. You guys can make a difference. Russ led that student to Christ. That student became an RA, led Andrew to Christ. You guys, we can multiply light throughout the world. And this is what Paul was talking about in Philippians 2, 12 through 16. He's talking to those he's discipled. Catch it again. I already read it, but we'll read it again. For it is God who works in you, starting at verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose, to obey him. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. He had invested his life in them. Now they were shining like lights in the universe, like stars in the universe. If you want to multiply light like Paul did with these Philippians, I would encourage you, to be committed to sharing your faith where discipleship starts, and then to making disciples, investing your life in believers around you and other Christians around you. 
And I am confident that's one of the greatest things that you can do to multiply the light around you. And this dark world desperately needs you to be bright, obeying God, and it needs lots more lights to be shining bright for him. Again, Spurgeon said, O brethren, may you have spiritual children who shall win battles for the Lord, and may you live to see them doing it. That's my prayer for you guys tonight, that you'll have spiritual children who will win battles for the Lord, and that you'd live to see them doing it. Love how Russ has invested in so many people over the years, and he's living to see some multiplying, right? We always hear stories from people that Russ has discipled that are in you know, Africa with Kyle, or Denver at a party at a wedding. Aaron and I meet somebody that's been discipled by him. Or even tonight, right? At this retreat. We have somebody that was on a summer project that Russ led in 1979, Kevin. Isn't that exciting? Yes, it is. It's crazy. Okay, so invest your life in others. That's the second application point, guys, from this message tonight, is who is God calling you to invest in? And I want to preface that by saying if you've never been discipled, and that's typically the case in the modern Christian America, most people have never been discipled, get somebody that will invest in you and disciple you as you commit to also becoming the person you need to be to discipling others, to disciple others. So I would encourage you guys, men, children, grandchildren, younger believers, ministries, college students, there are guys all around you you can disciple too. Think of somebody right now that you're going to choose to start investing in. And if you don't have anybody like that in your life, ask God to give you somebody to invest in, and he will. And write that name down or share it with somebody around you that would keep you accountable to beginning that discipleship relationship with that person. Okay, last point. God called Elijah to trust him. He didn't say those exact words, but he did tell him, I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. Elijah was not alone. He thought he was alone. He thought he was the only one left, and he, he was throwing a little pity party. All this bad stuff has happened. Oh, my gosh. And God said, stop. That's not the way it is. There are people all around you that I've reserved for myself who will walk with me. We need to trust God with what's going on around us. As you look at this dark world, the last thing you need to do is get stressed out and anxious about this dark world. You need to trust God that in the midst of this dark world, he's doing great things. There are more ministries popping up right now to do great things all around you and all around me and all around us and in this world. Think about this Billy Graham video that just came out that's exciting. That didn't exist two months ago, right? We think about these ministries helping girls that have been rescued from sex slavery. We think about all that's going on, these disaster relief ministries that are there that fast that actually have warehouses full of resources throughout the world so they can be the first on the scene with real help and with God's love in those places that need it most. Things are looking dark, but at the same time, they're starting to look very bright. And I need to trust God with his world and realize that he is shining very bright today on this planet. Do you know that there are about 174,000 people a day coming to faith in Jesus Christ throughout this world? That's a lot of brightness multiplying and a lot of brightness shining go to greatcommission2020.com you can write it down greatcommission2020.com again greatcommission2020.com and you can see real-time decisions for christ throughout this world and they'll have something like 40 or 45,000 a day and you can see them and you can pray boom new believer in bangladesh boom New believer in New Delhi. Boom. New believer in... New believer in... New believer. New believer in Mako. Saudi Arabia. Muslim countries. Wow, new believers. New believers. New believers. It's really exciting. Check it out. But God is doing a lot, and you can trust him with his world. Just like he called Elijah to trust him, he's calling you to trust him with the very dark world that you live in. Don't stress out about this world. Trust him with this world. You be obedient to him and shine brightly for him. Make disciples and multiply light for him. And trust him with this very dark world that you're in the middle of. In the midst of this self-destructing society, a lot of good is happening. So trust him with it. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Trust him with all your heart. Psalm 25, 3 says, No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. 
Trust him. You'll never regret it. You'll never be put to shame. Trust him with what's going on around you. So here's the application challenge for this third point. And this is important. It's easy to become distracted, frustrated, and dismayed by all that is happening around you. That's easy. And I'm probably at the top of the list of the people that are tempted to be anxious and stressed about all sorts of stuff that's going on around me. As On a side note, guys, I grew up in Romania, which had been a communist country for nearly 40 years, or over 40 years. Before communism, it had been one of the richest countries in Europe. After communism, when I was there, it was the second poorest in Europe, if I'm not mistaken. This is the most beautiful country that you could imagine. Rivers, mountains, oceanside, beaches, farmland, best agriculture on the planet. Food that's grown there tastes like food that's out of this world. The tomatoes there, I've told Peter today, I've never had a tomato like this. You can't find a tomato at any store in this country that tastes so good as the tomatoes there. This country is rich in resources, but it's also rich in culture and it's rich in people. The Romanians are the smartest people I've ever met. When I got there, they were doing like calculus and OCHEM in high school and things like that. It made us feel stupid. They knew American history better than we did. Most of them spoke four or five languages. I mean, it was just like, I don't compare to these people. I saw so much there destroyed by a political ideology that just brought it to ruins. And when I start to see hints of that ideology in our country, I get more scared than anybody you know because I've seen what it can do to a wonderful country. And you know what? Just like you guys, I need to not stress out about it, right? Because my God is greater than whatever is happening in the news today. And I can trust him with it. And you know what else? I hope my hope is never in a government of any sort. Because my hope needs to be in Jesus alone. So right now, application point number three. I want you to think of something that's stressing you out or causing you anxiety. It could be something in the news. It could be something on a political scale. Or it could be something in your own personal life. It could be a job issue. It could be a financial issue. It could be a relationship issue but something that's stressing you out. And I want to ask you to surrender it to God tonight and to say, God, I'm not going to get anxious about this. I'm not going to be stressed out about this. In 1 Peter 5, 7, we're told to cast those anxieties on him. John Piper says you can't, you can't cast an anxiety that you're holding or something to that effect. I think he said anxieties must be cast, not carried. I think that was the direct quote. We need to cast those anxieties on our Savior. And do you know how you cast them on Him? Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says that we cast them on Him through prayer. When you're tempted to go over this anxiety and this stress in your head, every single time that it hits you in the head, I'm going to ask you to give it to God in prayer that moment. And He promises you in Philippians 4 that He'll give you a peace that surpasses understanding. I know in my life, when I don't have peace, it's because I'm not spending time in prayer. And every time I do spend time in prayer, I feel his peace overwhelming me. We can take him up on his word and obey him. All right, so conclusion. We've been reminded tonight of what God told Elijah. When Elijah was in a very dark society, similar to ours, maybe worse in many ways. And in the context of that dark society... God called Elijah to obey him. And I ask you to write down a step of obedience that God wants you to take. God also called Elijah to raise up the next generation to serve him, to make disciples. And I ask you to think of someone that God wants you to begin investing in and discipling. Finally, God challenged Elijah to trust him. And I asked you to do the same and to think of a specific issue that you need to trust God with. I really hope, guys, that you'll apply those three application points, but I hope that'll just be the start of shining brighter for God. I hope you won't stop there. I hope you'll keep being obedient to Him. I hope you'll keep making disciples until the day you die, and I hope you'll trust Him no matter how dark things ever get around you. Because if you do that, guys, He will shine brighter than the stars in the universe. You'll shine brighter than anything this world has seen. And people will be drawn to you. And they will want to know what's different 
with you, and they will want to know about Jesus. So, i got to talk about how Elijah finished out his race, right? Because he wasn't perfect, he made some big mistakes, but he trusted God, walked in obedience most of the time, and he was quick to follow him in obedience, right? He invested in the next generation, Elisha specifically, and he trusted God. And 2 Kings 2.11 says, As he and Elisha were walking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. I'm pretty sure none of us are going out that way. Dakota, if you turn up missing, I'm probably not going to think fiery chariot took you. <laughs> but what I do want to encourage you with, guys, is the entire history of the church is watching you today. We're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses that we're told of in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. This is your time to shine bright. They've done it. They've gone before us. And the Holy Spirit of God is in your life today. And He wants to shine brighter than ever through your life. So put these things into practice and let Him shine bright through you. God, I just pray that You'd make each of us quicker to obey You, quicker to invest in the next generation, and quicker to trust you with the darkness all around us. God, I pray that we put these things into practice and that we would shine brighter than the stars in the universe, not because we deserve to look great, not because we need to be brighter for our own glory, but God, like Dale talked about this morning, so that you can be glorified, God, so that this dark world can see the only good thing in this world, God, you, so that they can come to know you, their Savior, Jesus, who died on the cross for their sins so that they could experience an eternity in heaven with you. God, I pray that we'd shine bright and that we'd use these short lives that you've given us to make a difference for you and to shine bright till the day we die. And I pray we'd go out as bright as anybody's ever gone out. God, I thank you so much for giving us these years and these times and for putting us in this place, like you said in Acts 17, so that we could make a difference for you. God, we trust that you'll do this in us I pray that you'll do great things in these men here tonight, that they'll trust you and take bigger risks than any group of men has ever taken before them, God. I pray that they'll put it all on the line and burn bright for you. God, we love you, and we give you the rest of this night and the rest of this retreat, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.